Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation. Let us pray. This evening, God above, we come before you by the power of your Spirit, Lord, purifying ourselves in obedience to the truth, through the Spirit, Lord, in sincere and fervent love for the brethren. And so this evening, God, we pray especially for the brethren and brothers and sisters across the world in persecution, where the state in various and sundry degrees wishes to shut them down, is shutting them down, casting them into prison, Lord, and arresting them. We ask God that you would be with them, strengthen them especially the pastors who are under such persecutions, and that the churches would survive, God, and that you would change the hearts of their leaders. Give them, the church Lord, the church members and others who perhaps have some kind of influence in society, to find ways to relieve their churches, relieve their pastors from such persecution. We pray, God, and ask that we would be able to maintain the freedoms that was promised to us by our forefathers over 200 years ago. Christian freedoms, Lord, in all the states that we have, God, that you would protect us both as churches and institutions and as Christians who are working, have their various jobs across this nation, Lord. Protect them, give them their freedoms, Lord, and preserve your church in America. We pray, and of course, across the world, as you have done for thousands of years. We pray in particular for the Presbytery of the Dakotas, that you would be with her and all the churches within her midst, that you would be with the committees and the committee leaders, God, to fruitful and industrious, Lord, towards the things that are required of the committees to take care of the things common to the churches of the regional church of the Dakotas, our God and Savior, that they would be faithful, Lord, and pray especially for the new pastors and their new um, work at these churches, God, that have been around a while, that they would mesh, that they would become one, and that they would love one another and take care of one another, Lord, as pastor and uh, parishioners, Lord, that you would encourage them, that that freshness and newness, Lord, would be used to expand the churches, both spiritually and numerically, our God and Savior, and that there would not be a honeymoon, rather, Lord, there would be a perpetual good time in in the sense of, Lord, of mature churches, taking care of the things that need to be done, Lord, and adjusting uh, accordingly, Lord, uh, with a new pastor and the leadership. We ask, God, that you would be with those churches, as we have a number of them, Lord, and we have other churches that need pastors, God, and that you would help them to persevere and not be discouraged to find pastors, that you would work out in your providence, Lord, that they would find a a pastor that fits well with them, understands them, and can minister to them as shepherds, God. True shepherds, in contrast to the many false shepherds that we run across in America, Lord, protect your churches, not just the Presbyterian Dakotas, Lord, but all churches, that trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Give them faithful pastors, shepherds that will feed them the word of God and the whole counsel of your truth. We ask God, in particular, Lord, that you would protect your churches from lies, from false teachers, from false practices, God, that you would bring revival in the best sense of the word, a returning back to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fullness of Uh, The law of God, as we heard about this morning, the Lord, to purify the church in obedience to the word. And so we ask, God, that you would, again, raise up pastors, raise up laymen that we require and demand of the churches a proper purity and a leadership, God, uh, that would feed them, protect them, and guide them uh, through these difficult times we find ourselves in, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, from other denominations, God, 
Uh, we certainly have enough differences. That's why we are in different denominations. And yet, Lord, we do not wish to be quick to judge them uh, as unbelievers, Lord, but to wish and think the best of them as best we can, God. And so we do pray for them. We ask, God, that they would have proper instruction. We pray for our churches, that we would continue to maintain proper instruction, for whom much is given, much is required. And, Lord and Savior, we pray for our work week at home and abroad, at school, Lord, this week would be a good week, a productive week, Lord, as we can continue to carry on our callings and vocations in life, wherever that may take us, God, and that we would trust in you, that we would take one day at a time and not let it overwhelm us, Lord, for sufficient is the evil therein. We pray and ask in particular, Lord, your spirit to be with us this evening, to hear the words of Zechariah in chapter 10, Lord, about your anger against false teachers, and to learn from that, God, to have a holy uh, anger towards lies around us, Lord, and stand firm and have greater love for the truth. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Zechariah chapter 10, verses 2 to 3. As I said, I wanted to drill in a little bit in this section here. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. But the idols speak delusion, the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds. Let us pray. We read here, Lord, of your righteous indignation against lies and those who tell the lies against your precious sheep. We ask and pray, Lord, that we would, again, be encouraged to continue on in spite of a culture, even in the best of our churches at times, Lord, that seems to downplay the importance of being zealous, God, not in irrational anger or hatred, but zeal towards the truth and against lies. May we, Lord, have such a, a godly zeal to the best of our ability, Lord. Certainly, we were tainted with sin this side of eternity, but we are to imitate you and your holiness. Help us, we pray, to that end. Amen. We live in heretical times. Now, I know uh, people sometimes like to say, well, you know, there's been sins and heresies all across uh, the many generations, thousands of years. Certainly, but it comes and goes, brothers and sisters. It comes and goes. We can't simply say it's all the same. There are degrees of sin and then degrees of intensity of the, even the same kind of sin at different times. And it seems to me we are especially in one of those dark times of heretical times. They are everywhere. That is, heretics, and many are dangerous. Peter describes some of them this way in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there, are, there were also false prophets among the people. He's speaking of the Jews in the Old Testament, God's people. Even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. That's pretty serious. Peter is warning them and warning us and showing us the way and the pattern by which we can go to the Old Testament, as a side note, an important side note, because that's the basis of the sermon, that we can go to the text, and although they are prophets, and we don't have prophets today, and yet what does a prophet do? They also teach. We certainly have teachers today, and they had false prophets then, and we have false teachers today. Peter says so, and that's enough for me. Now, use the word on purpose. The word heretic does not necessarily mean someone who is not a Christian. I'm using, I guess you could say, lowercase h, as opposed to uppercase h. And I'll explain why right here. The word originally comes from the Greek word, which is translated in various other passages as sect, right? S-E-C-T, party, and the worst type as divisive or division. 
So in the Jewish context, in Acts 5.17, for example, we read, Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Right? A subsection of the Jewish church. And were filled with indignation. The word sect there is translated elsewhere, heresy. Various other translations. Not in that text, but another text elsewhere in the Bible, uh, as we'll see in a minute. It is specifically the last translation, division. I said sect, party, or division. You can see how sect moves to division, right? Because there is a division, even if it isn't a hateful division, in the Jewish church at the time. Of course, we know it was pretty intense, actually, with the Pharisees. And we have it today. Another word for that would be denominations. This side of eternity, we don't have perfect unity. We have sects. If you could say it the best sense of the word without calling it full-on heresy, right? And it's part of the condition of being in a fallen world before heaven. Okay? That's where we are. I mean moving it beyond where we are in a fallen world sect to something stronger like division that brings unnecessary division in the church on up towards heresy with a capital H. Where we know they're teaching flat out lies about the gospel of Jesus Christ, for example. We read... Uh, here in 1 Corinthians 11.19 of the same word heresies, but translated, uh, I believe this is the NKJV, as factions. So something a little stronger than sects or divisions or factions. You can hear that even in the English. For there must also be factions among you, 1 Corinthians 11.19, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. God, of course, as only God can, uses the fallen world we find ourselves in, uses sin although purely uses it, right? His hand is never in sin as such. uses it to bring about good. And here at the Church of Corinth, Paul reminds them that the factions are there to bring out the fact that there is truth and there is error. That those who are approved may be recognized among you, the leaders in particular. In Galatians 5.20, there's a list of sins. And here we have, in a number of translations, the word you're more comfortable or familiar with, heresies. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. As I said, there is spectrum, right? Sex, differences, denominations, we would say. The best charitable. Divisions, it can become stronger. Factions, hatred and wrangling going on in the church of God, uh, even in a, in a good church, as it were, the most mature churches can have these problems. So it's not just between denominations. And then it gets worse to flat-out heresies with a capital H. So I'm going to cover the, the gamut, the whole range of those kinds of heresies, because that's what the Word covers in the New Testament. And even in the Bible, Old Testament, when it talks about some of these problems, uh, the various degrees of false teachers... You can say false teachers, I suppose, are the lowercase f or capital case f, right? Lowercase h for heresy, capital H for heresy, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And that's important because it's not enough to say, to put it another way, we're not called only, although it's very important, to say no to heresies with a capital H, to sniff them out, to wipe them clean from the church. But we're also called to get rid of the lowercase h, divisive beliefs and practices as best we can. So whether a small H or capital H, 
God is not pleased with divisions or sects and certainly false teachings and false teachers in his church. Obviously, false teaching brings what? Division and sex. And heresies with a small H, even the heresies with a capital H. God is angry with that. And what does that mean for us today? What are false teachers? The first point. What are false teachers? They are church officers ordinarily. That's typically what happens. The prophet is a teaching office, as you may recall. In the Old Testament, they were to speak the truth of God to the church. And, of course, the truth in particular is the, um, the truth they were supposed to give of the Old Testament was foretelling and forthtelling, right? To foretell the future. That's what we typically think of as a prophet. But they also gave forth or forthtelling of the law of God and applied it to the there and then or the here and now, we would say, of the truth and the things that needed to hear. So that would be the teaching function more than what we typically think of the prophet. And again, Second Peter, he just simply says, false prophets, false teachers today. He sees the obvious connection and the overlap between the offices. They are office, an office, false prophets or false teachers who obviously are not telling the truth, are not giving the truth of God to the people of God, but rather lies and distortions. There are no prophets today. There are teachers, but there are still false teachers that we need to be aware of. Now, we have de facto teachers. Just teachers uh, by virtue of time and circumstances in which they just start acting or they take upon themselves being a pastor, even if they weren't uh, ordained and the like, typically. These are men who claim the mantle of a teacher without proper ordination. Of course, you can have those who give proper ordination and be false teachers. That's not uh, a, a, you know, a silver bullet, clearly. It's not the perfect thing. It is preferable, however, because you have multiple people ordaining. They're supposed to examine and not lay hands hastily on any man just because he seems like a great guy. But examine him, those outside the church, and not just people who really like him. And that's the typical false teacher you think of, but there are others. De facto teachers are one of them. And we have a lot of that in America, don't we? Any Tom, Dick, and Harry, we used to say, right, could just say, I'm a pastor. Here, come to my church. Start a church, go into massive debt. I remember getting a haircut, Broomfield. I felt really sorry for the lady. It was the wife of a pastor who went in massive debt, a million dollars, to start a big church building there off 144. Build it, and they will come, was the mentality, clearly. That's sad. So that would be, I would argue, with a lowercase h. I don't know the guy, what he's teaching. Presumably he's teaching truth, but still there's a problem there. He's uh, arrogating upon himself leadership and the like and making that kind of a terrible decision to build a church upon that kind of debt. Uh, Often they are given tacit approval to lead without ordination, again, because they're well-known. They know the right kind of people. They're popular. They may be smart and quick. I'm not denying that, but they should not be in the ministry. They should be elsewhere. And as I said, many churches in America are like this. They don't take ordination seriously. If Paul had to have hands laid on him before he was sent off to the mission field, well, who, do, who do we think we are, right? I've been ordained myself. Christ was ordained, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us. Forget about that. So, uh, de facto teachers often... Uh, many of those uh, can fall into that category or have... It's easier, in other words, in those circles... I would argue, to have 
this kind of a problem of factions, because now you're starting a whole denomination even. That's how a lot of denominations started. People making, becoming de facto teachers and creating their own denomination. Lay teachers or laymen that are teachers, uh, these are individuals who will not claim the title of a church officer or teacher. No, no, not me. I'm not one of those guys. Uh, nevertheless, they act and talk as though they were teachers anyway. And that's typically, uh, typically a lot of parachurch ministries are like that, in my experience. They're not officers. No one's over them. They don't have a church per se. They just kind of run their own thing. I'm pointing this out because you're supposed to be aware of false teachers. And don't think false teachers are just the guy who got ordained by the presbytery and ended up preaching Jesus Christ is but a man. He's not, he's not God, or he was created at one time. He's just a super angel or something. That's the most flagrant and obvious. The other ones are less obvious, but they're still, what, factions and divisions, starting your own churches in the backyard of another established church that's already orthodox? You think that's divisive or not? See that? Of course it's divisive. We should all be on the same page. Paul says that very clearly, because I don't go into another man's harvest. Isn't that interesting? The apostle wasn't going to run around and establish churches where it was already established. So that is another form of de facto or layman teachers or whatnot causing this kind of division or heresies with lowercase h. That's what I'm saying there. Factions. So we have to be careful of those as well, brothers and sisters. Not just the capital H, not just the obvious, but even lay teachers and parachurches. We have a lot of them in America, and we have to be very careful with them. Remember, false teachers are also not outside of God's plan. It's not like God's like, I'm not sure what to do with these. All these weeds are popping up in the church. Where do these weeds come from? No, God is behind all of this. That has not caught him off guard. Deuteronomy 13.3. Remember that chapter? Now you do, because I'm going to say it again. Deuteronomy chapter 13. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. Right? Testing you. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Not that God is confused about it but to help the church, or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, uh, to bring forth the leadership in the church to show those who are approved. Factions are brought to show to the church those who are approved, those who are standing up and fighting against the factions, in other words, for the truth. And same with the Old Testament prophets, and same, obviously, with New Testament teachers. It's part of God's plan, purifying the church, of teaching us the truth more clearly, to fight for the truth, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of God's plan, brothers. It's hard, I know. It's also for discipline, surely. Discipline the church for not taking the truth seriously, taking it for granted, perhaps. But one thing we do know, God is behind it, and God will still protect this church and protect you, brothers and sisters. Do not fear. Now, the Bible gives many descriptions of false teachers, and from that description, you see how they operate to some extent. I'm not going to go through a lot of details, but I'm going to cover a number of verses to give you an idea of different perspectives and different ways of thinking about false teachers and the things they do with their power and ability to hurt the church. One way of describing a false teacher, they are false witnesses. False witnesses. 1 Corinthians 15.15 Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he was raised up, whom he did not raise up, if so be that the dead rise not. Paul argues. Paul the Apostle is saying, if my gospel is not true, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then I'm a false witness. Right? We are witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. We believe it. We've seen the power of the gospel in our lives. 
And if you give a lie, you're giving a witness to a lie. And it's worse for a public office, isn't it? Any public office that takes the same sin that you all do and exercise it, it's a worse sin. That's by virtue of his office. And so false teachers are false witnesses. And God is angry with them. Pretenders. This is obvious, right? You have two types of pretenders. Pretending to be leaders and pretending to be brothers. 2 Corinthians 11.13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, or pretending, right? Making themselves look the part and speak the part, give you the buzzwords. That's why we have to be on guard. If we still have our, our mind and our approach to protecting the church, especially amongst the leadership, as though we're still fighting the fundamentalist debates of 100 years ago, we're 100 years behind. Does that make sense? Because now you can have people saying, sure, I believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, but I also don't have a problem with men becoming women. So the battle has shifted. They use the right buzzwords. They get into the churches. Pretending to be false brothers, 2 Corinthians 11.26. It gives a long list there of the many things as the Apostle Paul went through the persecutions, the troubles, the trials and tribulations of his life, and he mentions perils among false brethren. Maybe he means brethren as in other officers, or he just means fellow Christians in general. I take it to mean fellow Christians in general, even if it's not. Clearly, as I mentioned, you can have lay teachers who are not ordained, who will disavow any of that, but they have the kind of influence a pastor or a teacher has anyways, by virtue of a parachurch ministry or something like that. As only America does, because we love our popular speakers, don't we? He's a great guy. He cares about his credentials. He's getting things done. That's how we think. The American practical way. They're sneaky. <laughs> of course, Pastor. <laughs> of course they're sneaky. They have to be sneaky to get away with this stuff. Or as I have in my notes, you ready for this? Machiavellian machinations. Say that five times fast. <clears throat> Galatians 2.4, and this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Paul was not mincing words. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to assume the best in them. Isn't that interesting? And this is a precursor to later on in the sermon. Brothers and sisters, let us not be naive. Let's not be naive. That's one of the problems that has happened in evangelical churches, even, even reformed churches, where these, these leaders are popular. Rabbi Zacharias, you ever heard of him and his ministry? Big name? Maybe not. He's big in evangelical circles. Most of us are like, well, woo! Big name, okay? Just under Billy Graham. That's how big he is. That was a scoundrel. He had, what was it, massage... Uh, business, massage business. Isn't that kind of suspicious? You don't think nobody knew about that business and thought, what's a pastor doing with a bunch of in different cities and he goes there and there's women working on it? Come on. One of the things we like in America, and I watched another video on this, the founding of Calvary Chapel and out of Calvary Chapel came the Vineyard Movement in the mid-70s and late-70s. It got a start from a, a gay minister. You know that? Paid money to watch that video. <laughs> yeah. 
It was Frisbee. They knew it, too. Video got the guys like Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith. He knew he was gay. But as long as he was celibate, quiet, or never caught, or whatever the case was, he was a popular, very charismatic, very energetic. I mean charismatic in the sense of, you know, enticing, although he was charismatic later on as well. False teachers, brothers and sisters, and America loves them because they get results. That's my point. Even though he was just a hippie boy in 68 when Chuck Smith, who gave his own story in his own words, described how he saw him come off the street to his house. They're sneaky. And we should not be naive, brothers and sisters. We put up fences and protections that honest men would not complain about. They know the dangers and they say, yes, I will run the extra mile because I know this church is serious about protecting the sheep. Whereas, you know, the hirelings like, whatever, dude, I'll just find another church that's an easy prey. And they do. I've studied this as well. Pray not just, of course, theologically, but otherwise. And unfortunately, uh, many, uh, too many false teachers are not just heretical with a lowercase h, divisive and bringing up weird things and new churches that don't need to be brought up, you know, existing and already established places of America. But just with a capital H, Second Peter 2, 1, right? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, dangerous heresies of the soul, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction. Here we have a description of heresy with a capital H, don't we? The type of lies are obvious, doctrinal and practical lies. Doctrinal lies, denial of the deity of Christ, denial of the Trinity, playing around with the idea of the Trinity, false gospels, mixing justification and sanctification, denying one, denying the other, wrong teaching on the sacraments and worship and government, and on and on it goes. False practices, of course, and worship, adding to or taking away from God's worship. Men in tights on dancing on stage, which I saw at a Reformed church a number of years ago, secretly recorded. People skipping or teaching to skip preaching for entertainment. Although, again, people, false teachers aren't going to tell you I'm a false teacher. You know, look what I'm doing. I'm going to explain to you what I'm doing. You have to pay attention and understand human nature to some extent. Many of you run across deceitful people, maybe even your family, unfortunately. It's the same in the church. It's not like something different. A lot of the patterns are similar. They're not going to say, skip preaching for entertainment. They're just going to do it, right? They're just going to do it, somehow justify it one way or the other. Omitting needful truth, that's, that can be pretty serious, right? You go to a church, you're expecting to hear the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the law of God, the fullness of the word of God, and you find out they skip a lot of things in public preaching because they don't want to offend people, right? What they do is they'll teach it in Sunday school class, maybe. That's where they get the, the, real, the real doctrine. And again, this is a temptation of conservative churches who are embarrassed about the justice of God who sends people to hell. He elects whom he will and sends them to heaven. The saints are called to be holy, even if they lose friends and family. Those aren't popular things. They don't hear those from too many pulpits, unfortunately. Other practical things, as we are running across, as you know, in our society, male-female issues and differences and the like, and playing around with that stuff when they should not be. Practical applications of God's law, which is more or less what's going on there with the gender issues. Now, it is true intentional lying about God's truth is worse than being ignorant, doing it by accident, as it were. You're just poorly instructed. That's true. It's still bad. 
brothers and sisters. For zealous for God's truth, we shouldn't make excuses in this way. There's one way to make an excuse and another way to make an excuse. I, I don't know what a phrase to use by making covering love and being loving. Is another way of saying it, I suppose. But if a preacher is coming and is ignorant like Apollos, remember that in Acts? You can say, well, he, he means well, it's okay. Sure, he means well. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep listening to him or are you going to help the man? They helped the man, didn't they? See the difference? When I hear the phrase, make excuses, typically I hear, don't do anything about it, let him keep doing the problem. It is a problem. Apollos needed to change. He needed to get beyond the ignorant part and instruct in the fullness of the gospel. And so that happens in the leadership, and there's growth, that's true. Uh, but when it's, of course, serious errors, like, you don't need to believe in Jesus, you need to work harder to get to heaven, that kind of stuff. Even if they're ignorant, you just say, sorry, you shouldn't be in the ministry, time out, get out, get, you know, get the guy out. Can't imagine it happening in, uh, in the OPC or something like that, but it's possible. So it depends on the circumstances, but again, and the point of bringing out intentional lie versus ignorance is that there is a distinction, and there will be a difference in how you respond to it. But still, you ought to respond to it. You shouldn't put up with lies from the pulpit, intentional or not. Are we zealous for God's truth, or aren't we? That's the question, isn't it? So, whether in practice or in doctrine, if it's false, it's false. It ought to be rejected, it ought to be changed, the man ought to be changed, he ought to be set on the ministry, he ought to be re- re-educated, something. You know, again, depending on the circumstances, I'm not going to go into all those details that's false teachers. But what should we do about false teachers? Second point. The first thing you do is to have the mind of God. Right? To have the mind of God. That is, to have the word of God, to have the zeal, to follow God as our Father. God here, as we read in Zechariah, says, My anger is kindled against all the shepherds, and I will punish them. We are called to imitate God's holiness, and his anger against lies is but one aspect of his holiness. Of course, love and patience and kindness, and I, I mentioned that. If someone's ignorant, and they did that with Apollos, there's some love, right? But you don't know, keep loving uh, the guy and keep loving the guy, and after five or ten years, he still hasn't changed, right? You obviously have to draw the line somewhere at some time. The sooner the better, because it's a teaching position, isn't it? That happened when Dr. Coppas and a bunch of guys in the 80s were examining presbyteries uh, from another denomination, and that was questions they would ask. I remember him saying that to me very clearly, to ask these guys, these presbyters, what would you do if this pastor preached Arminianism? What would you do if this pastor preached this stuff or charismatic stuff? Well, we, we work with him. We pull him aside. We instruct him. Okay, but he doesn't change. What do you do? We keep working on him. We, we take him out to lunch. And what if he doesn't change? We keep working. You see the pattern? Nothing gets done. So there is, yes, brothers and sisters, a time for love and compassion, and they had it. But then it gets abused. Then your love and compassion is being used and actually hurting the church. And I know it's hard. We want to draw that line, but we have to draw that line. The leadership especially has the duty to draw that line. And you may have to do as well. You just say, I'm, I'm out of this church, sorry. It isn't changing. I don't want my kids being fed lies and, and being harmed that way. But as much as we wish to imitate God's love, patience, and kindness, and we ought to, we ought to imitate his justice and his zeal for truth, shouldn't we? His anger here, brothers and sisters, again, I remind you, God's anger is not like man's in the sense that it's irrational, it just goes crazy. Ah! It's a zeal, a holy zeal against lies and for truth. And we are called to have a holy zeal against lies and for truth, like our Heavenly Father. 
It's a righteous anger, we would say, against lies and for the protection of the sheep. Righteous indignation, I've mentioned this before in other sermons. We know what this is when our neighborhood gets repeatedly vandalized. And then it gets worse, and a house is caught on fire. And then there's right. You're going to respond to that, aren't you? You're going to say, this has to stop. To sit back and kind of go, you know, I can't have any righteous zeal. The word there in the Greek New Testament that could be zeal positively or negatively. But it's zeal. That's the root idea. Strong emotion, to be sure, but a strong directing of the emotions towards justice, truth, and goodness, and rightness against wickedness that was attacking your neighborhood or your family. Imagine your family being attacked. I hope you're not just indifferent, going, well, you know, I have to be Spock here and I can't have righteous indignation. No. Dare say you wouldn't. I know it can be mixed with sin and maybe often is mixed with sin, but that doesn't stop the fact because everything else we do, loving one another, can be mixed with sin, become too indulgent, that Presbytery did, right? So danger is always there, brothers. But the call of God is clear. We ought to be zealous for the truth and against lies. In a day and an age and a society that says, who cares? It's whatever works, whatever makes me happy. Deuteronomy 13, 1. I mentioned that chapter, right? Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, he's actually doing something. Isn't that amazing? Maybe he's even feeding you. Giving you a party. And the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods. Here you go. Which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. Zeal, he says, are you zealous for me, for my truth? Verse 6, if your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, your friend, who is as your own soul, the closest person to you, right? Secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from one end of the earth to the other end. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. Your own flesh and blood. If they tell you to follow another gospel, if they tell you to follow another Jesus, if they tell you to follow another God, you say no. A thousand times no. I love you. I'm not going to divorce you. I'll take care of you. I'll work as a husband and supply and support you, but I will not worship another God. And that's hard. You can lose family members that way, and I've seen it in this church. It is hard, but you can do no less. That's what I mean by zeal. Zeal for the truth. Follow God's holy example. And following that example may mean being forsaken by others. You still love them, as I said. You still treat them well. But you cannot treat them as a brother anymore. They follow another God. You cannot pretend that they're a member of the church or a Christian in good standing. God's warning here and elsewhere is a warning to the church and warns the teachers that he will judge. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says in Matthew 7, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Again, let us not be naive, brothers and sisters. It is hard. I know the history of some of the things, even in the last several decades, of professors, 
at seminaries, people we love that taught us. They seem so nice. Uh, I'm sorry. They're false teachers. If it's that serious of a false teaching. And they're going to have to be treated that way. They have to be cast out of the professorship. Should be dragged out. These things ought to be clear up front, right up front. This is the calling of the church. It's doubly important in denominations that have more truth and more history to their advantage. To whom much is given, much is required, right? And pastors should follow the example of God here and warn the sheep from false shepherds, from lies, and false teachings. And the, and the sheep should examine the pastor's teaching to see if it is in the Word of God. That's one of the advantages of preaching through the text, like I do here. Dr. Coppas did, and other pastors. So that you can see when I'm preaching transparently. I may not always be correct. I might have a few errors here and there. Or you can't quite see the connection, but I'm trying, right? That you can see. And go here, and let's ask the pastor a question. I can read the text. You can read it. The Bereans read the Bible. You also are our safeguard against false teaching, although you're not a, a pastor or a ruling elder or a deacon and have that kind of authority. But you have something that you have a responsibility as best you can. What do you do? I finish up here. What do you do? Sometimes it's a time to, to name names. <laughs> what did Christ say about the Pharisees? Well, you vipers. <laughs> and what's interesting about his language is this. And I don't encourage this as a rule because we have other issues in, in today's society and the churches. But Christ didn't say, Whoa, Pharisees, you vipers, you brood of vipers except for someone like Nicodemus. And there was a couple others, too. We're afraid of the leadership, but we're followers of Christ. Nevertheless, Christ just gave a blanket statement about the Pharisees. There are times to give blanket statements, like about, I don't know, the Mormons. Could there conceivably be a Mormon church or some member of a Mormon church who has some Christian doctrine, read the Bible on his own, and starts believing this stuff? Sure. But that's between him and God. My calling as a pastor and your calling as someone who doesn't know that is to warn people away from the Mormon church. Just like you'd warn somebody from a dark alley in New York City on a Friday night. Sure, it's possible that you may not get mugged, but who wants to go first? Please raise your hand. That's how life is, brothers and sisters. You have to make generalizations until you know the particulars. If I happen to meet that guy, I'll urge him to get out of, the, out of that church. But until then, people will be warned about cults. They do exist. Um, Paul <laughs> called the Cretans liars. Remember that? Oh, that's right. Yes, Titus one twelve. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow. <laughs> Dude, what is wrong with Paul characterizing people that way? Well, because Paul, as a full-grown adult, knows there's always exceptions. But if you dealt with all the exceptions, you could never have warnings, could you? This testimony is true, Paul says. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And, of course, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith. Did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You think he's saying, may the Lord bless him? Is that what he's saying? <laughs> there is a time to name names, especially with gross, uncontroversial heresies in the church. It's, it's, I know it's not the way to do things. Um, I'm just... I've not done it, per se, as a rule, but it's there. Your, oops. Your reaction 
should be proportionate to the lie. Small h, capital H, obviously, right? How serious it is. Teachers of lies and the like. And if it's serious enough, they ought to be removed from the ministry. And I want to read this section as I finish up here. I really am. i got three lines here. Confession of Faith. Our Confession of Faith. Chapter 20. Paragraph 4. For their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices, right, doctrine or practice, as are contrary to the light of nature. I don't need a Bible text sometimes. I mentioned that before, right? The light of nature, natural law is clear on a lot of things. Or to the known principles of Christianity, or to the power of godliness, or such erroneous opinions as are destructive to the external peace and order of the church. They may be lawfully called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church. I believe that as a, as a pastor, I confess the confession as a summary of the word of God. And I believe the section, I think it's weak in the American scene. I don't know if any church or denomination has ever exercised this power. Typically has to drag out for a long time through the courts or something strange like that, in my opinion. But it's here. It's an option. And I'm bringing this up because I think times are getting worse and worse in the future. And this is a tool we have. Keep the church, the OPC, pure, brothers and sisters. Contrary to the light of nature, I don't need a Bible text. You start attacking the differences between men and women, we got to shut you down. Think about it. There's no list in our confession about the differences. We have what's called the fifth commandment and our traditions, which we ought to hold to, of, of the differences and what that looks like. One example of maintaining unity and not factions in the church. So there's other things that we can do to be sure. And certainly we ought to pray. We ought to be uh, informed as best we can. I know you're very busy, and so I try to be informed for you, (laughs) I hope. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, examine your heart for zeal for God's truth. That's what we're called to do in imitation of his righteous anger against lies. To act upon that zeal by avoiding false teachers and false teachings. And to pray for the protection of God's church from the many lies that surround her. Amen. Let us pray. Help us, God, we pray, to stand firm, to be zealous, Lord, not listen to the world who says, you've got too much zeal. How, how, it's just a little thing, a little different. Factions are serious, God. We should not have such divisions in the church, especially, Lord, serious errors against natural law and the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, Lord, to maintain that zeal in the bounds of love. In your name alone we pray, amen. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.